After spending his entire presidency surrendering to various foes of the United States, President Obama is now moving to make the loss of the Vietnam War complete. Vietnam, which largely disappeared from the stage of history after the United States cut and ran at the behest of Democrats who defunded a one war, has remained a backwater. State-owned enterprise is about 40% of their GDP. Their per capita GDP gross domestic product is just $6,100. More than 20% of the population lives in abject poverty, according to the World Bank. That number used to be 60% like 10 years ago, before there were some capitalistic reforms introduced, kind of like China. Vietnam, however, remains a communist tyranny. So that means that President Obama announced on Monday that we'd be selling them military equipment. The same leadership responsible for the killing of tens of thousands of American soldiers and hundreds of thousands of non-communist Vietnamese citizens, a huge percentage of them civilians, will now be getting weapons courtesy of us. President Obama said he wanted to kill the ban, quote, based on ideological division between our two countries. He sat in front of a bust of communist murderer Ho Chi Minh, and he said, we've come here as a symbol of the renewed ties we've made over the last several decades and the comprehensive partnership we have created over the course of my presidency. Here's what the Chinese foreign minister uh, spokeswoman, and I guess her name is Hua Chunying, said, quote, the arms sales ban was a product of the Cold War and should no longer exist. We hope the lifting of all such bans will benefit regional peace and development. This is typical Obama. Ignore underlying ideological conflicts. Pretend that all such conflicts are merely products of the time. Conflicts between freedom and communism, in Obama's mind, all that's, that's all ancient and silly. We can all just be friends. We can even film episodes of Parts Unknown in Hanoi while handing weaponry to communists to show we're new friends. He's doing that. He's sitting down with Anthony Bourdain right now. This is why President Obama has ignored the rise of Russia by pretending that opponents of Vladimir Putin's expansionism live in the 1980s. It's why he's now arming a communist dictatorship by pretending that conflict between visions ended in the 1970s. He's overtly ignoring Vietnam's imprisonment of dissidents and their repression of free speech and their failure to allow a real vote. None of that matters anymore. The one has arrived to beat swords into plowshares, or rather, to sell swords to the people who beat those who push the plowshares. No wonder Phil Robertson, who's the deputy director of Human Rights Watch Asia Division, lamented, quote, President Obama just gave Vietnam a reward they don't deserve. But what else is new? He's handed undeserved rewards to Cuba, and he's done that for the Iranians too. Vietnam's just next on the list. Enemies of the U.S.? They're no longer our enemies. They're just friends we neglected to make until President Barney the Purple Dinosaur came along to sing Kumbaya. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. tend to demonize people who don't care about your feelings. So it's a Monday, and President Obama's radicalism continues apace. He's over in Vietnam, as I mentioned, hanging out with Anthony Bourdain and doing parts unknown, eating $6 noodles in Hanoi. Meanwhile, his preferred policy, you know, the, like the ones they have in Venezuela, that has resulted in literally burgers that are $170. $170 for a burger in, in Venezuela. So things are going beautifully over there. I'm so glad that the left is running things here. And this is why, you know, when people say, I get two questions. One is, why aren't you voting for Trump? And the other is, why do you think Trump rose? Why do I think Trump rose is, is kind of a more interesting question to me, because I've talked at length about why I'm not voting for Trump, at least as of now. And the, the answer is because the left is so terrible. So the left is so terrible, it's driving people into the arms of a bad guy like Donald Trump. Dennis Prager, for whom I have tremendous admiration, he tweeted out this morning, he can't understand why anyone wouldn't just vote for the vehicle that's anti the left, and my answer is that Trump is a member of the left, but his philosophy is sort of why there are so many people who are, who are jumping to defense of Trump, because there's now a big consolidation that's taking place. A lot of people falling behind Donald Trump specifically to stop the left. 
And the reason for that is you look at the left and they truly are awful. So, for example, there's this rapper who uh, who's now been caught on tape um, and uh, he calls himself War Machine 3. War Machine 3. This is his given name. He came out of his mother and she looked down at him. And she said, I shall call him War Machine 3. He was at, his father was War Machine the second, and his grandfather was War Machine the first. And uh, and so he's now tweeting and he says he tweets, dear white people, if Trump wins, young N words such as myself are fully hell bent on inciting riots everywhere we go. Just so you know, which is really just wonderful. And now there's another rapper. His name is Main Music. This is, this is Main Music. And it's spelled, of course, Main like the state and music, M-U-Z-I-K, because there's been some sort of blanket ban in the rap community on spelling in English. We now have to we, we have to spell everything incorrectly. So Donald Trump is actually spelled Z-X-U-M-L. Right? Donald Trump. So, he, so here's what he had to say about Donald Trump and how he wants to kill Donald Trump, actually. Saying, why y'all criticizing me now? Y'all scared because y'all see a nigga got hunting around, take government to war, take the army to war, take the brave team to war. I go to war with who the I want to, but I really want to go to war with Donald Trump because Donald Trump trying to take food stamps from my mom and that's all the fuck she got. So it's better stay the fuck down. Look, long as government let us keep food stamps in Sherwood, we gonna be good. But the first time this pass a law talking about he taking Louisiana purchase, she gonna get ugly. I swear to God on every chain I got on my dead pit bull in the backyard beard. It's gonna okay. go down. And I'm so, talking about all- It continues along these lines. It doesn't make for great radio because literally every other word has to be bleeped. So there's that. Also you can't really understand what he's saying when he is speaking and it's and it's not bleeped. What he is saying there is I could go to war with whomever the F I want to, but I really want to go to war with Donald Trump because Donald Trump trying to take food stamps from my mama and that's all the F she's got. Okay, the reaction of a lot of people to this sort of thing is okay, I'm voting for Donald Trump. Right, because you look at that and you go, if the alternative is people who are going to pander to that guy, right, the guy who threatens riots if he doesn't steal other people's money, which is what food stamps are, it's a redistributionist scheme, then I'll vote for Donald Trump. And you get this feeling also from, from people who are more elevated in the discourse. Joyanne Reed, for example, is a commentator on MSNBC. And there was, a, there was a, a woman last week who was working, I think it was at a Home Depot, and she was wearing a hat that said, America was never great. And this became a big cause celeb among the left because she, a lot of people didn't like that she was wearing this hat that said America was never great. Uh, and, uh, and so Joyanne Reed, a bunch of people on the left, they say that Donald Trump's slogan, Make America Great Again, is actually a racist slogan. But I think what, what Donald Trump sort of, fi- sort of hit upon with his Make America Great Again message is this sense of nostalgia that a certain kind of white, particularly white voter, um, has for a bygone era. And it gets right to it. Okay, so she says that this is sort of racism, and then when people say make America great again, what they're really thinking about is the segregationist era. Sean King, who's a white guy who pretends to be a black guy over at the Daily News and gets paid for it, he wrote a column on this today, and he sort of said the same thing. He said, I wrote a column about the word again in Trump's slogan. I think it's a racist dog whistle, and it gets to the heart of the point of the, point of the hat Crystal Lake was wearing. That was the name of the 22-year-old. Her actual name is Crystal Lake. No, that's not a stripper name. That's her real name. She said, what sustained period in the history of this nation, what decade, what era, what generation was truly great for everybody? While this country may have been great for George Washington, it wasn't great for the Africans who were forced to live and work on his plantation. The more I think about it, the more I think I want to buy myself an America was never great hat. And so people react to this and they say, well, that's not really what Trump is saying, right? Trump isn't saying that America was better when it was segregated. He wasn't saying America was better when there was a civil war here. What he's saying is that there are certain elements 
of America that have been lost, like basic morality and decency, like America's place in the world in terms of its, its power in the world and its influence in the world. These things have been lost, and he wants to bring those things back. He's not saying make America like it was in the 1950s. He's saying bring back American greatness in the areas where American greatness doesn't exist. And I'll defend Trump's slogan. I don't think there's anything wrong with the slogan. I think you can read it in a bad way if you want to read it in a bad way. But there's nothing wrong with the idea make America great again because the idea isn't just – there are two ways to read that. Make America great again like it was great before and make America great again. Basically, we need to become great as we've been great in the past. But the way we were great in the past was in relation to other things. Great is a term of relationship, right? If I just say something is great, if I say a movie was great, the reason that has meaning is because you know what a bad movie looks like. Right? If I just say the sky today is great, that doesn't mean anything. Right? You actually, it's a relational term. So when you say make America great again, you mean in relation to other nations, in relation to the morality that prevails today, in relation to the economics that prevails today. That's what he means by make America great again. But there are people out there who would rather wear a hat that says make, uh, America was never great, which is nonsense. Of course America was great. Was America not great when we were defeating the Nazis? Was America not great when we were winning the Cold War? Was America not great when we were at the cost of hundreds of thousands of American lives abolishing slavery on this continent? Is that when America wasn't great? Like, this is, this, is, this is silliness. So what you have is reactionaries on both sides who are now fighting against each other. And so people look at this sort of thing, and they go, okay, fine, well, I'll back Trump. If I, if I have a choice between America was never great and make America great again, then I'll take make America great again. Because I think America has been a pretty great place, and I think there are some things that are currently lacking. No one's ever said America was perfect at any point in time. Nobody says there was some sort of halcyon era where America was just the greatest thing that it would ever be. And it couldn't be improved. No one believes that. But the left puts up that straw man specifically so they can criticize America. This is their favorite thing to do. America is constantly a place in need of work. That's why we always need hope and change, right? When Obama said he wanted to fundamentally transform America, the implication was America is a pretty crappy place. No conservative has ever said we need to fundamentally transform America. What we've said is we need to change the way we do business or we need to change this or we need to change that. But the fundamental underlying idea of America doesn't need to change. That needs to be revivified. Okay, so all of this kind of leftist reactionary nonsense is driving the Trump reaction. It's driving the Trump reaction and it's driving a Trump reaction that's really quite terrible. The same thing is true with regard to, for example, border politics. So Univision is now promoting the, the opposite of Trump's Make America Great Again hat. They're now promoting the slogan, Make America Mexico Again. This is their new thing. Vi una foto de la cachucha, de la gorra, uh, en el website Latino Rebels, y pensé que era bien chistosa. Y yo quería una hat uh, porque no me gusta Trump. Mientras, Jerónimo dice que ha sido insultado por esta iniciativa. Y me han dicho que, soy un, que yo soy un racista contra los güeros, me dicen que yo soy un, un menso, me dicen que yo soy un, un traitor contra Estados Unidos. Uh, mensajes muy feos, muy racistas. Para mí, yo, yo imagino él viendo esta, okay, so esta gorra. Uh, for, for folks who can't speak Spanish, including me, I can read the, the transcript here, so I can read, I can read the, the subtitles. This is why you need to subscribe at dailywire.com so you know what we're talking about here. It's very difficult. We've, we've now played two tapes today where if you don't see the visual, <laughs> it's a little bit hard to understand. This, it's, it's, this, it's Latino guy, presumably Mexican, and he made a hat that says Make America Mexico Again. And Univision was pushing this, this Make America Mexico Again hat. And the idea was he hates Trump so much that it's not Make America Great Again, it's Make America Mexico Again. So... Most Americans react to that by, we don't want to do that. Mexico is a crap hole. Mexico is a terrible place to live. Why would we possibly want to make America Mexico again? Forget about the people who live there. Just look at their governance. Look at the way the country is run. Make America Mexico. That's a terrible idea. And if people really wanted to live in Mexico so badly, why are they jumping the border illegally to live here? 
So people react to this sort of thing with, okay, well, whoever these people are against, I must be for. The, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Politics is very strong. Whoever, I, I said yesterday on Twitter, anybody who had coined the, who, who had trademarked the phrase lesser of two evils would be in the money in this election cycle because that's basically what it is. It's the enemy of my enemy is my friend and the lesser of two evils. And that being said, one of the reasons Trump is succeeding, there are a bunch of polls over the weekend that show that Trump's up two, maybe three points. There's a couple of polls that show that he's down four or five, but there's in, in the poll averages for the first time, Trump is actually ahead of Hillary Clinton. Part of that is, is because of Trump, because he's bombastic, because he's fun to watch, because he sucks up media attention. A lot of it is because of the people who hate Trump, and a lot of it is because of Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton is terrible at everything, and she has no real line of attack on Trump. So any normal Democrat would be able to attack Donald Trump on all of his positional switches, they'd be able to attack him on his corruption. They'd be able to attack him on the fact that he has no coherent principles. They'd be able to attack him on his treatment of women. They'd be able to attack him on his treatment of the disabled. They'd be able to attack him every which way. The problem is we now have two mud monsters throwing mud at each other. So Hillary Clinton is running, honest to God, one of the worst campaigns I've ever seen. I mean, this is truly an awful campaign. This, this campaign makes Jeb Bush's campaign look like it deserved the exclamation point. Hillary Clinton is on national TV over the weekend, and she's talking about Donald Trump. You wonder why Donald Trump is winning? It's because this is the person he's facing. Hillary Clinton, let's open that maw of hell and listen to the voice of Satan. Let's go. I think he needs to release his tax returns. The only two we have show that he hasn't paid a penny mm -hmm. in taxes. And yet he goes around talking about make America great. You know, that means paying for our military. That means paying for our roads. That means paying for the VA. That means a lot of things. And if you've got someone running for president who's afraid to release his tax returns because it will expose the fact that he pays no federal income tax, I think that's a big problem. But my question was, there's nothing about his background that is praiseworthy? We'll find out. Because we have to get below the hype. We have to find what the reality is. And and you, uh, you don't feel like you know that? I don't think the country knows it. But okay. do you? I, I think that we're beginning to find out, but I don't think we know enough, and that's why he should release his tax returns. Right. Prove that he actually has the level of success he claims to have. Okay, how Chuck Todd does not follow up that question with, and you didn't release any of your Goldman Sachs speeches is beyond me, or why does your foundation keep amending its tax returns over and over over the past three to five years? Right? It's sort of amazing that that's not the comeback, but that's the comeback in everybody's mind, and that's why this doesn't work. She's sitting there going, well, he's really not qualified. I, don't, I can't name anything in his career that makes me think he's qualified. You went to his wedding. You took his money. And now you're saying he ought to be more transparent with the public when you had a server full of 30,000 emails that you tried to hide and you deleted however many else that we don't even know about. And you won't release your speeches to Goldman Sachs. So this is the problem for Hillary. Every time she attacks Trump, it's, it's like a boomerang. It comes right back on her because trying to attack Trump over non-transparency is a giant fail. One reason Trump is winning. And she, she's just, she's terrible at this all the way around. She, she's such a pathological liar that the, the polls show 57% of Americans don't trust Donald Trump. 66% of Americans don't trust Hillary Clinton. So you found a narcissistic pathological liar like Donald Trump, and you're losing to him in terms of trustworthy numbers. And by the way, you deserve to lose for him, to him in terms of trustworthy numbers. She's not even good at this with her, with her own side. So Hillary Clinton attacks Bernie Sanders, too. She's trying to fend off Bernie Sanders, who's approaching from the rear very slowly on a walker uh, and, uh, and apparently quietly, his knees creaking, she can, hear, he, she can hear him gaining on her, his arthritic, his arthritic knuckles clasping the walker as he raised it above his head to bring down on her, on her cranium. And here's her answer to Bernie Sanders, to whom she continues to lose states. It's also fair to say that I have been vetted and tested, and I 
think that uh, that puts me in a very strong position. You don't uh, think Bernie Sanders has been vetted? You don't think this one long year of campaign, your campaign against him, has vetted him? Um, let me say that I don't think he's had a single negative ad ever run against him. And, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. But we know what we're going into, and we understand what it's going to take to win in the fall. Okay, she says that there's never been an ad against him. She's produced them. Okay, she's produced them. Correct the record, which is one of her super PACs. They made ads against Bernie Sanders. They put up web ads over and over and over. Hillary Clinton had her surrogates attack Bernie Sanders as a racist. We talked about this at the time. So here's Hillary lying again. And if you're somebody who's just watching this, you're thinking to yourself, well, she's terrible. She's a liar. She's awful. And she is. She's terrible at this. And, and the fact that she's so terrible at this is why Donald – I've said this before – Donald Trump can only win an election in which he faces Hillary Clinton, and Hillary Clinton can only win an election in which she faces Donald Trump. That's why this is a close election. Her untrustworthy numbers are so bad. She's so unlikable. She looks as though she was put together by composite in a, in a, in a robot factory. She's not even regular Frankenstein. She's robot Frankenstein. She's got like a C-3PO arm attached to R2-D2, and this is what you get. And so here's Hillary Clinton saying now she's starting to lose in the polls. She's not doing well in the polls. So here she is defending the fact that she's not doing well in the polls. And finally, I would, I would say that, you know, polls this far out mean nothing. Uh, they certainly mean nothing to me. And I think if people uh, go back and look, they really mean nothing uh, in terms of analyzing what's going to happen in so the fall. Do you think this lead for Sanders is an illusion a little bit? I, I'm, I'll let uh, others speak to that. I just think that I'm in a much stronger position, have been, and the voters... Uh, who have turned out and given me three million more votes believe that as well. Okay, so she, she's kind of dismissing Bernie Sanders. And again, the Sanders supporters are going to riot at the convention. And one of the reasons they're going to riot is because she keeps dismissing him over and over. Now, the Sanders supporters do have a decent case here. The, the, the case for the Sanders supporters is this. When this whole thing started, everybody knew Hillary was going to be the nominee. There were already 600 superdelegates that were pledged to her from the very beginning, from the very outset, he was running at a major deficit. Now, let's say that you and I, the two of us, we were going to get into an election versus each other. But I knew going in that I was going to have four percentage points. I knew going in they were just going to hand them to me. I wasn't going to win them. I was just going to have them. Do you think that might impact the turnout? Do you think that might impact your ability to turn people out to the polls? Of course it would, because people like to vote for people they think can actually win. When you have the entire media saying Bernie Sanders has no chance against Hillary, when you have the entire Democratic Party infrastructure that have selected delegates against Bernie Sanders, that holds down the polling numbers for Bernie Sanders. And there have been some very close states that Hillary has won that she probably wouldn't have won if it hadn't been for this, this generalized perception that she was going to be the nominee. But Hillary continues to give Sanders short shrift. So you know, she refuses to do an, a debate with Bernie Sanders. She refuses to countenance Bernie Sanders. You know, Bill O'Reilly made this case. We don't actually have to watch Bill O'Reilly do it, but Bill O'Reilly did make this case himself. They're just they're bad at this. They're bad at this. And then Hillary Clinton is trying to trot forth Bill Clinton, and it's having no impact because, as I said last week, Hillary Clinton has spent this entire campaign disowning everything that Bill ever did that was good. She disowned welfare reform, and she disowned criminal justice reform, and she disowned the, the, the Bill Clinton tax cuts. Right? She disowned the contract with America that, that Clinton helped make law. Right? She disowned all of those things. So when Bill is out there trying to defend her, it just looks weak. So here's Bill staggering, staggering around. As, as we like to say, not fully concentrating, playing the lesbian pornography in his head uh, and explaining that, that the, the Republicans are good at attacking. But Bill is clearly out of it because the case he's about to make is basically a case against Hillary Clinton. Now, I know the Republicans have been mean to her and they say terrible things. You've got to respect them. They're good at this. They, de they delegitimize the people they don't like. 
they aren't in the habit of attacking people they're not scared of. They try to sucker punch the rest of us into nominating people they think they can really devour if they get a hold of them. And look, they did the same thing for me. Okay, so he says that that they're in the habit of devouring people, but notice the, the underlying tone here, which is she's used to these attacks. These attacks happen all the time. He went on to say, they've attacked me before. They've said I've killed people, right? So, but the implication is, the implication is I knew how to handle them and my wife does not, right? That's sort of the implication. If she's losing in the polls and she can't handle it, that's her fault, right? Because they've been attacking me worse than they attacked her and I handled it. So if they're attacking her, it's not even as bad as the attacks that they launched against me and she can't handle it. And that's true. Hillary doesn't know how to handle these attacks. And Donald Trump says as much. Here's Donald Trump kind of giving the coup de grace to Hillary Clinton uh, on his on his favorite show, Trump and Friends on Fox News. Uh, and Those uh, are harsh, he is. harsh words. She says Trump's America will look picture more kids at risk with violence and bigotry. What do you say to that? Well, first of all, they're just words. Uh, she reads off a teleprompter. You notice she's reading off a teleprompter. She always does. Uh, she really doesn't have her own words. She doesn't have her own words. She's robotic. She reads it off a teleprompter. All true. All true. And this is why Hillary Clinton is right now losing to Donald Trump. And it's a disaster area for her. It's a disaster area for her. Now, meanwhile, the media are still trying to come to her defense. The Washington Post took a poll in which she's losing by two points to Donald Trump. She's losing, I think, 48 to 46 or 46 to 44. And they buried that five paragraphs down in the article. Instead, they focused on the fact that they're both wildly unpopular. So they buried the lead. There, is a, there was an interesting poll over the weekend, by the way, that showed that if there was a third-party candidate like Mitt Romney running, he'd win 22% of the vote. It would be 37 for Hillary, 35 for Trump, 22 for, 22 for Romney. So it's, it would be, and that's before Romney jumps in. And this brings me to the second question of today's broadcast. So I want to start this off by explaining what happened over the weekend. So over the weekend, I was giving a speech at, uh, the, there, was a, there was an event, uh, there's, there's a family called the, the uh, Avericks, and the Avericks, a nice family, their, their son, unfortunately, about 15 years ago, 13, 15 years ago, uh, died of a brain tumor. Uh, he had chemotherapy, and then he was infected in the lung, couldn't get a lung transplant in time. So what they do is, in his honor, he was, he was very into politics. He was 19 when he died. Uh, they, they, do, uh, they sponsor a lecture. So they sponsored this lecture over at the Eula Girls School. That's my alma mater, is uh, Yeshiva University of Los Angeles, where I went to high school. So they have a boys' school, and they have a girls' school, because it's an orthodox school, so the, the boys and girls don't share a classroom. So I'm over there and I'm speaking and I give a, a speech about Israel and about the, the American election and, and all of this uh, and, and Trump versus Hillary and all of it. And I'm very critical of Trump because, as you know from watching this, I'm, I've been very critical of Trump for months now. Uh, I've been extraordinarily critical of Hillary. I've been very critical of Donald Trump. So I'm talking about Trump and I'm saying here are all the weaknesses of Donald Trump. And this, this little old lady, a very nice lady, I, I know her, she, she gets up and she's a Republican activist and she gets up. And she starts railing against me for, for not taking Trump's side. She says, I'm downplaying how great Trump is going to be. Uh, and, I, and I really need to, to stop discouraging people from voting for Trump. And I said, look, here's the deal. You vote for who you want to vote for. I'm just going to give you my view of things. And my view of things is that Donald Trump poses a real threat to the conservative movement that doesn't exist with Hillary Clinton. So my view is that Barack Obama has basically, I've given this analogy before, Barack Obama took a country that was moving at 30 miles an hour toward the cliff rammed the pedal to the metal, we're now heading toward the cliff, Thelma and Louise style at 70 miles an hour. Hillary Clinton as president will elevate that to 90 miles an hour. Donald Trump will elevate it to 75 miles an hour. So if all you care about is the speed with which we are moving toward the cliff, you do vote for Trump over Hillary. You do, because at least there's a shot that he's not going to be the world's worst president. I think he will be, by the way. I think he'll be an awful, awful president. But 
there's a shot that he's going to be better than Hillary. And there are certain areas in which he can't possibly be worse than Hillary. Everything from judges to gun rights, right? That's a fair argument. There's only one caveat. Okay, Donald Trump takes the, the, the gears, right? he takes the gear, the gear shift, and he rips it out of the car. So now there's no possibility of throwing that car into reverse. No matter who's the driver from now on, there's no possibility of throwing it in reverse because the only reverse mechanism in the United States that's going to save us is conservatism, is the conservative movement. It's the only thing that's going to save us. It is not Trump. It is not any godlike figure. It's not some magic man who comes down from the sky. It ain't going to happen that way. The only thing that is going to save the country is a, is a reenactment of conservative principle. Conservative principle. And she said, I said all this, and what she said was, I don't care about conservatism. All I care about is that we win. Right? I don't care about... Con now, this is upsetting stuff. The reason it's upsetting stuff is not because this is not a prevalent opinion. It is, unfortunately, a very prevalent opinion. I'm supposed to debate Milo Yiannopoulos next week sometime. This is Milo's opinion. Milo has made the case that conservatism is over. He is the new brand, the alt-right, the European populist right. That's going to be the thing that saves Western civilization, despite the fact that European populism has never saved or conserved a damn thing. It's always been a disaster everywhere it's been tried. But nonetheless, there's this case out there that conservatism hasn't done anything for us. And this is the case that I fear. This is the case that I fear. So this has now been articulated over and over and over by various members of the movement. Peggy Noonan articulated it. Uh, there's a fellow who did it over at the Hill today who articulated it this way. So first off, let me say, when people say, what kind of damage do you think Trump is going to do to conservatism? The damage I think Trump is going to do to conservatism is he's going to put these folks who don't care about conservatism in the driver's seat and everyone else will fall in line because they want to defeat Hillary Clinton. That's what I'm scared of. What I'm scared of is that everyone is going to fall behind Trump. Trump becomes president. Trump enacts his populist agenda. doesn't matter whether he's a good president or a bad president. He hurts us either way. If he's a good president, which I highly doubt because his policies are not geared toward working, just as Obama was not geared toward being a good president because his policies weren't geared toward working. But let's say that, that Trump is not an utter disaster. Let's say he's John Kasich as president. Well, then he's basically just done the next step of, of compassionate conservatism under George W. Bush. Nobody has helped, but conservatism has been a little bit perverted. If he's a bad president, he destroys conservatism for a generation. We are it's now 2016. How often do you hear Herbert Hoover's name? You still hear Herbert Hoover's name, okay? Herbert Hoover left office in 1932. In 1932. It has literally been 84 years since Herbert Hoover. Like, that's, it's, my grandmothers were not alive. One of them was. She was six. The other grandmother wasn't even alive when Herbert Hoover was president of the United States, right? But we're still hearing Herbert Hoover because Herbert Hoover, who, by the way, on policy looks a lot like Donald Trump, Herbert Hoover was such a bad president that conservatism has been slandered with the memory of Herbert Hoover for the last three generations, four generations. The same thing was true with regard to Nixon. Nixon is still linked to conservatism. The only gap here is the black swan that was Reagan. And remember, Reagan was not brought about by Nixon. Reagan was brought about by the failures of 1964. He was brought about by Goldwater. Right, Goldwater loses in 64. Conservatives sort of coalesce, and then they go into hiding for a little while. Nixon wins, and then they come back with a vengeance and take the party away from the Nixons and the Fords. Right, and that's a brief respite in time. And then we go right back to H.W. Bush, who is so bad that people are still citing him as an example of people who lie about taxes, and W., who's going to be used to smack conservatives for another generation. Trump will be all of that except way worse because Trump is also an authoritarian. He's also a vulgarian. He's also somebody who says nasty and terrible things about various groups. He's somebody who is, who is not geared 
toward conservative ideals in any way, shape, or form. In any way, shape. He's somebody who endorses violence against people who disagree with him. Right? So that's the stuff that I worry about. So here's the thing. So this lady gets up and she shouts, we don't care about conservatism. We need to win. All I care about is defeating Hillary Clinton. And this is the siren call. This is the siren call. And I'm hearing it again from people I respect. Right? Dennis Prager, who is a conservative, is saying, well, conservatism has to take a back seat to defeating Hillary Clinton. In other words, use a leftist to beat a leftist, and that will stop the left. I don't understand how that works. So here, here are some of the lines that I've been hearing from these folks. One is, what have conservatives ever done? Right? You keep hearing this. Well, the conservative movement has failed. What have they ever done? Okay, so that's the wrong question. Conservatives fail, just like leftists fail, just like moderates fail. People fail. Right? People aren't always living up to their ideology. The question is, what has conservatism done? What has the idea of conservatism done when properly implemented? And the answer is, it's created the largest boom in the history of the world and brought half of the globe out of abject poverty. That's what conservatism has done. It has ended the Soviet Union. Conservatism has defeated totalitarianism. Conservatism is the foundation of, of the greatest country in the history of mankind. It has made your rights possible. That's what conservatism has done. And it's protected the United States from utter fiscal collapse, at least for the moment. That's what conservatism has done. What have you done? What has your European-style populism done? Anything? It hasn't stopped anything in Europe. European-style populism has been around for quite a while in Europe. hasn't done anything. hasn't done anything. All it's done is empower the left, which comes back and then lets in all the immigrants. Every time there's a European-style populist leader, he leaves office, and the next step is somebody coming in and being even more left than the person who was left before. And I, I know this because I've seen it here in California. Right? Arnold Schwarzenegger was not a conservative. I made this mistake. Okay? I backed Arnold Schwarzenegger in 2003 over Tom McClintock. Tom McClintock was the conservative in the gubernatorial recall election of 2003 here in California. And I backed Arnold Schwarzenegger over Tom McClintock. I did. And I did because I said, we need to win. Right, exactly this logic. We have to stop the left. We need to win. Let's elect Arnold Schwarzenegger to the governorship. And so we didn't put up Tom McClintock, who might have had a chance of winning against somebody like Cruz Bustamante. He might have. Right? Instead, we put up Schwarzenegger, and Schwarzenegger won walking away. What did we get for that? Nothing. Nothing. The state's a garbage heap. And not only that, Schwarzenegger was seen as what he was. He was seen as a, as a popular celebrity black swan, right? just like Trump is. And then he leaves. And now what is California? It is a Democrat-dominated state. There are no Republicans in positions of power at the state level. Jerry Brown runs this place like a dictatorship. He's got a two-thirds majority in the House and, and, and legislature here in, in California, or very close to it. So Arnold Schwarzenegger didn't do anybody any good. But that's what happens when you need to win, because the question is when to do what? Republicans won in 2000. We won in 2004. We won in 2002. We won in 2010. We won in 2014. What did that accomplish? According to you guys, nothing. According to you guys, nothing. I think we accomplished some things, not enough things for my taste. We accomplished some things. We stopped Obama from blowing out as he wanted to the budget even more than he did. But you say that we won there and we accomplished nothing. So why are you now declaring that victory for someone who's more left than all the Republicans in Congress? That's going to accomplish the victory. That's going to make things happen. This notion we have to win now, but we can win with somebody who's not conservative. It doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. And the truth is, in the end, all that a lot of these folks really want is a strong leader. And you keep hearing this. We don't need, we don't need a conservative. We need somebody to lead us. We need a leader. We need somebody who's going to tell us the right thing to do. Now, we use the word conservatism very often on this show, and we do in politics, because I think ideology matters. I think one of the great lies that you're told by the media, one of the great lies that you're told by politicians, is that ideology does not matter. Everyone lives by an ideology. All an ideology is is a set of rules that you have for society. That's all an ideology is. 
If you don't have an ideology, I have an ideology. That ideology is that the government should be as small as possible and should only intervene basically if I'm going to hit you in the face. That's basically the only time government should intervene. That is an ideology. It's a rule. And you can look at my rule and say, I either like that rule or I don't like that rule. You get rid of ideology. What you end up with is ad hoc totalitarianism. So what you end up with is, I'm not going to give you my rule. I'm not going to give you my rule. I'm just going to say I can get things done. And I'm not going to tell you how. I'm not going to tell you what that rule looks like. I'm not going to tell you whether it's a good rule or a bad rule. I can get things done. And that means I'm just going to do what I think is appropriate under the circumstances. You have no gauge as to what that looks like. Is that scary or is that comforting to you? For a lot of people, that's comforting. For a lot of people, that's comforting. Trump said last week, don't worry about the economy. I'll take care of it. It's not the job of the president of the United States to take care of the economy. It's his job to leave you alone. It's his job to create the preconditions where you can exercise your economic rights freely. But this, this idea that we need a strong leader with ad hoc, just being practical. Obama said the same thing, by the way, in 2008. He said, I'm not a leftist. I'm not a right-wing person. I think we don't need ideology. We just need practical common sense measures. That means nothing. His common sense is not my common sense. It doesn't sound like it's your common sense either. Right? How about, here's your principle. What do you stand for? This is why I prefer Bernie Sanders as a human to Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. At least he gives me the principle he stands for. It's an evil, terrible, destructive, despicable principle, but at least I know what the principle is. All these conservatives who are saying, throw out conservatism. It's okay if it does tremendous damage to the movement down the road. Just throw it out because we need to win again. We need to stop Hillary, and we can't stop Hillary if we don't win. A lot of them really want just a dear leader to make them feel better. Uh, better. They want a parent. They want daddy or mommy. They want, like my, my two-year-old daughter, she just wants me to solve her problems. Right? I can do that. She's my two-year-old daughter. I can't do that for the country because nobody can. So this is, this is what's troubling to me about the, the Trump movement, is, is the movement. It's Trump and it's the movement. He's an ad hoc, left-wing, most of the time. Sometimes he panders to the right, authoritarian, with no respect for the rules. I don't know what rules he applies to government. I don't know what rules he applies to, to life. I don't know what rules he applies to anything. There are no rules. Trump is the no-rules guy, and this is what appeals to people about him, is that it feels like there are no rules. So he's going to fight for you because there are no rules, and no rules means no Marcus of Queensberry rules. That means he's not going to play fair. He's just going to fight for you. Here's what I want. I want somebody who's not going to play fair, but who abides by certain principles, certain principles of how life works, right? And to me, a certain principle of how life works is you don't tell people you're going to defend them if they punch people in the face based on political feeling. That's, that's a big no-no to me. Okay, so with all of this said, it doesn't matter. Republicans, conservatives, they're getting behind Trump anyway to stop, to stop Hillary. Again, I understand the argument. I just disagree with it for all the reasons that I just stated. But the consolidation is happening. And there's now a move to kind of bully people into line. If you won't get behind Donald Trump, then it must be because you're not conservative enough. Let me just say this. If you say I'm not conservative enough because I refuse to vote for a man who donated money to his political opponent in this race, right? You're more right wing than I am because I won't vote for the lifelong Democrat who just switched to con you. If you say that I'm not conservative enough because you complain that Congress hasn't been conservative enough, so we need to elect somebody who's a left winger. You back Donald Trump now, and you don't care what happens to conservatism, you just want to win? I, I can't give you a lot of respect. Britt Hume uh, on Fox News, he says that Trump is basically pulling all of the Republican Party behind him. I think this is true. 
I was there at the NRA uh, meeting, Britt, and there was a crowd. It was supposed to be 7,000. That's how many tickets they sold. But they let another 1,000 people at least in. Very enthusiastic crowd for Trump there. So you got a couple of things. you got the NRA very enthusiastic about him and the NRA endorsing five months before they've endorsed anybody else. What's going on? I think it's one of a number of signs that Donald Trump is well on his way to pulling nearly all of the Republican Party behind him. There will be holdouts and there will be conservatives who are conservatives first and Republicans second who will not be reconciled to him. But the Supreme Court list that he put out, the meeting with Paul Ryan, all these things are pointing in the same direction, that, that, that Republicans and most conservatives are increasingly ready, particularly because they so fear the alternative, to back him. And I think that's, that's where we're going. Right. And he's right. I think that people are getting behind this. I think that people are moving in that direction. I think that people are consolidating because it's more comfortable. And this is what I said last week. I'm, yeah, I get a lot of email in, in people saying oh, it's self-righteous not to back Trump. It's, it's, it's you just standing on your purity not to back Trump. You must just feel good about yourself. No, I don't. It feels terrible. This entire election is an ulcer. This entire election is a horrible metamucil moment. It's just a horrible, horrible bowel movement of an election. And so all we're doing now is just determining how we deal with it. Because if you think I don't want to walk into a voting booth tomorrow, despite how much I dislike Trump on a, on a, on a political level and uh, how much I think that he's a bad person as a person, if you think I don't want to vote into a, walk into a voting booth tomorrow and, and punch that ballot for Trump, you're wrong. I do. I want to. I want to. I want to because I want to stop Hillary Clinton just as much as you and probably more than you because if you voted for Trump in a primary, you don't care about the same principles that I do. Right? I, I would love to do that. I can't do that if I think he's going to destroy the movement, especially because of people like you. The same people who say, don't criticize Donald Trump at any turn, understand something about criticizing Donald Trump. The people who criticize Donald Trump, that's what drives him to pretend to be conservative. Do you understand that? Donald Trump only released his list of Heritage Foundation judges because people were pressuring him from the right. If you buy into Donald Trump wholeheartedly now, and you back every play that he makes, and you say, don't say anything bad about Donald Trump, all you're doing is giving away any bargaining position that you have as a conservative with Donald Trump in the first place. Nonetheless, everybody wants to give away their bargaining position really early. Newt Gingrich says the same thing. Of course, Newt wants to be Trump's VP. That would make him relevant again. And, uh, and, and the, between the two of them, they would have more marriages than how many of the last presidents combined? Let's see. The, it, between the two of them, they would have well, the last six presidents combined, right? They, they'd have... They'd have more marriages between the two of them than the last five presidents combined. Even Bill Clinton has less marriages because he has a, a fake marriage. So here's Newt Gingrich talking about how Trump is going to consolidate support. Well, first of all, I, I don't think they signal a really close race by November. I think if you look at the trend line, they signal that Trump will probably consolidate and Hillary will probably continue to stagnate. Uh, and the odds are pretty good Trump will win, much like Reagan did in 1980, by a surprisingly big number. Uh, this country's had... A long, long time to get to know Hillary Clinton. Uh, she cannot build a base that works. Uh, people don't believe her. That's actually getting worse, not better. And of course, she now has a real civil war. Everybody said the Republicans were going to have a problem. Well, Bernie Sanders just endorsed uh, the primary opponent of the Democratic National Committee chair. Uh, Sanders is uh, committed to going all the way to the convention in a really bitter fight. So uh, I, I think the Democrats will be a shambles by the end of the summer. I think younger, reform-oriented Democrats either won't vote or they'll vote for Trump, and that poses a huge problem for Hillary. Oh, so now he's saying huge, too. So it poses a huge problem for Hillary. So that's good. And the nice thing about Trump is that that Cheeto dust on his face wipes off on everybody with whom he associates. 
Uh, he's got his mini-me's now, like, like Newt Gingrich, who used to be a voice in the Republican Party and has become utterly extinct and, and, uh, and wipes off on people like Milo Yiannopoulos, who's basically become Donald Trump's mini-me, uh, all the way down to the ridiculous hair and, and, the, and the exclamation points at the ends of his tweets. So in any case, uh, the, the, uh, all of the folks on the, on the right are consolidating behind Trump, and they're using this, this phraseology, come home, why don't you just come home to Trump? Uh, Face the Nation had a panel uh, with John Dickerson talking about this, and, and people are saying, oh, yeah, people are going to come home to Trump. They're going to come home. Okay, I hate this language so much. It's not my home. If, there's a, if I walk into my house today and Donald Trump is sitting in his boxer shorts on my couch and he owns my house, it's no longer my house, right? It's no longer my house. I need to find another place to live. But here's the panel saying everybody's going to come home. Molly, are, are we surprised by these numbers that it's so close? Well, I think it has been somewhat surprising. A lot of even Republicans I talk to are surprised that the party has come home to Trump uh, so quickly. And, and that's really what we're seeing in a lot of these polls. You know, the, before Trump won the nomination, there were these hypothetical general election matchups where uh, Clinton was way far ahead of him. And that has tightened up principally because of the coalescing of the Republican Party and the failure to coalesce of the Democratic Party. So I think the real open question is whether once uh, Hillary Clinton does decisively win the Democratic nomination, whether her party comes home to her the way uh, Trump's party has come home to him, which is not necessarily a sure thing. Ezra, of course, this is a long way off from when we have an actual election, but the way Democrats were talking about Trump's vulnerabilities with women, with younger voters, with voters of color, you would have thought that those would be just, that you wouldn't have numbers this close so, so far or right now. And he's right. You would have thought that. But again, Republicans are being consolidated by their dislike of Hillary Clinton. And Democrats are not yet being consolidated by their dislike of Trump, but they will be. But they will be. So this is going to remain a close election all the way down to the finish. Bill Kristol makes the point that half the country is open to an alternative here. This is true, but unless somebody like Mitt Romney jumps in, it's not going to matter very much. Here's Bill Kristol. We look at that poll, when you throw Mitt Romney's name in, someone who hasn't run in four years, probably isn't the ideal in a way, uh, third party candidate, though an impressive man, and I think would be a good alternative to, to Clinton and Trump. He right away is at 22%, 37, 35, 22. He hasn't, I mean, he hasn't done anything. In other polls, the independent, generic independent candidates around 20 or 21. And as I think Koki was saying, and Matthew too, I mean, half of the Clinton voters and half of the Trump voters don't want to be for Clinton or Trump. They're against the other person. If they had an alternative, the way the country, the way the country, the way the country is really set up a quarter of the country's for trump a quarter of the country's for clinton and half the country is open to an alternative the abc poll shows half basically half 45 percent saying uh, we'd like to have a third choice so i think the ground is there the ground is there for an independent right now well let's see give us give us give give those it's a tough thing to ask a politician as you know it's a tough thing to ask someone to do but let's let's see what happens in the next and and she's right there i think it's mary madeline uh she's saying that that it's that there's a the, people always say they want a third choice, and this is true, which is why I've said that you know it's easy to throw out names, it's easy to say third choice, but in reality, it's a much more difficult uphill climb than people make it out to be. Which is why it's important what happens inside the Republican Party. I don't think there's an easy brush off solution like oh, just go get a third party candidate, take over a third party, and run. I, I don't think it's quite as easy as all of that. I think that what happens with Trump here is going to decide the next twenty years of what it means to be a Republican. And, uh, and given the level of, of happiness, almost there's this sort of blind happiness that's, that's rushed over people now that the primaries are over and people are going to start downplaying Trump's flaws and downplaying all of this. Again, as I say, it's a gut-wrenching decision. Whatever decision you have to make, you have to make. I get it. You know, for me, just take into account the risks. 
Okay, take it, take into account, is Trump going to be a good president or a bad president? And what kind of damage is he going to do to the only movement that can save the country if he's president versus if he's not president? These are the only factors I ask you to consider. And don't ignore that second factor. There are a lot of people out there who just pretend, oh, it won't be any damage at all. There won't be any damage at all. Anybody who has studied history knows how false this is. Don't do yourself the disservice of ignoring the counter argument. I'm not. It's why I struggle every day with this. It's why I struggle every day with this. And it is a struggle. It's a struggle to determine what's the right thing to do and what's the wrong thing to do. It's not an easy decision. Anybody who tells you it's an easy decision is, is not being honest with you. I know there are people out there who say it's an easy decision because Trump is unstable. You don't want an unstable president. If it were just that easy, it would be just that easy. It's not because Hillary is also not stable. And more than that, she has bad principles. So, you know, I, I want to take all the sides of the argument very seriously here. But that means that, that my opponents also need to do the same. And I think on net, all I can say is I wish to God Donald Trump were not the nominee because it would make things so much easier for everybody involved. Unfortunately, he is because people have decided to be reactionary in just the way that I talked about before. The left is so bad that they've gone to the bad guy on the right. Okay, time for some things I like and then some things I hate. So yesterday, if you can't tell, I'm really tired today. One of the reasons that I'm really tired today is because I've spent the last two weeks waking up every two and a half hours in the middle of the night to take care of the baby boy with my wife. Uh, the other reason is because yesterday... My daughter uh, came down with a 103 fever, which is, which is always a party, which is why if my shirt looks a little bit stained here, those are probably snot stains from my daughter crying on my shirt from a doctor's appointment this morning. Um, but she, had her, uh, she, she came down with like a 103 yesterday, and we don't let her watch TV. We're not TV parents. Um, and note to all parents with young kids, if you have kids under two, they shouldn't be watching TV. It's bad for their brain development. So we don't let our kid watch TV. She was really sick, so and she couldn't do anything. She, she couldn't even concentrate enough to, to have us read books to her. So we decided to put on a movie. So she, we tried a couple of the Pixar films, and she was not interested. The one that she wanted to watch, and she ended up watching nearly the entire thing, uh, is, is Mary Poppins, uh, which is just a delightful, delightful film. I hadn't watched it all the way through for, it's got to be 20 years uh, since I've seen it, since I was a kid. Uh, and it's just, it's a, it's a terrific film. It's, it's actually, it's surprisingly moving, and there's a message to it. Uh, that's kind of great that we'll talk about in a second. Here's the, the trailer for the original Mary Poppins. A robin feathering his nest has very little time to rest While gathering his bits of twine and twig Though quite intent in his pursuit he has a merry tune to toot He knows a song will move the job along So we don't have to play the whole number, obviously, but it's 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 just it's great number after great number, and more importantly, there's there's the there's a very move. People forget the plot of the movie because all of this stuff with Mary Poppins is so charming, but she's not the center of the movie. The center of the movie is the father character, right? The father character who who feels his world kind of collapsing around him, right? He's got his wife who's the suffragette who's not paying any attention to the kids, and then he's got he's trying to deal with this whole nanny issue, uh, and he he it, it, the movie's really about this guy trying to deal with the changes that are occurring around him. Uh, and it's about and there's a there's a really nice scene where the kids have run away. They start to run on the bank. If you don't remember the film, they start to run on the bank because uh, Dick Van Dyke playing uh, the old man who runs the bank as well as Bert, who's the, the, the chimney sweep. Uh, he um, he takes the money from the kid and the kid doesn't want to give him the money. So he says, give me my money. They won't give it to him. Run on the bank starts. So they run away and they run into Bert. Right. Also Dick Van Dyke. Uh, and and they say they're scared. And he says, well, your father's scared, too. And, but, you know, when your mother has a problem, she goes to your dad. And when you have a problem, you go to your mom. When he has a problem, he just has to suck it up. So 
you know, adult males, you know, men, dads, fathers, they have to suck it up. That's their job is to suck it up. So you need to have a little bit of sympathy for the dad who sort of needs to suck it up. And meanwhile, he has to learn that the, the father has to learn to put the business aside. Not everything fits into these kind of comfy categories. And that's why the very end of the film is him flying a kite with the kids. It's him both getting his job, actually maintains the job, and he still is providing, but also recognizing that it's not enough to categorize myself as I'm the businessman with my very set schedule. Life throws curveballs at you and you have to deal with it. It's, it's, it's a really terrific movie and the imagery is quite beautiful. So uh, Mary Poppins, for those who haven't seen it, and even if you have, it's, it's fun to go back and watch it. There's also a good movie that they did recently with, uh, with Emma Thompson uh, about uh, the making of Mary Poppins, which is a, a good movie. Tom Hanks plays Walt Disney and it's, it's a pretty solid film. Okay, things that I hate. So from the sublime to the ridiculous. So the, the, the Mary Poppins was the sort of stuff that kids watched back in the 1960s. Here's the sort of stuff that the kids of the same age watch now on TV. Demi Lovato, who is an utterly untalented, untalented human. I mean, just she. There's a reason all these, all these, uh, these, these singers now have to dress up like porn stars in order to get attention. It's because they can't sing a lick. Demi Lovato was at the Billboard Music Awards, where they give you awards for taking off your clothes and singing badly. Uh, and Demi Lovato decided that she was going to wear a special, special dress. Here's what it looked like. You. We're cool for the summer. Okay, okay, so we pause it there so people can see the, the shirt. Okay, first of all, this song is just ear assault. I mean, it's just an assault on the ears. It's like someone took Thor's hammer and decided to smash her face with it. It's terrible. Okay, but beyond that, the dress that she's wearing, she is wearing a dress that has an emblem of the transgender bathroom on it. Okay, what that has to do with anything, the answer is nothing. It doesn't have anything to do with anything. It's just her virtue signaling, look what a special person I am. I would let a man into my bathroom. I'm sure you would, Demi Lovato. But for all of your little teeny bopper fans who are 11 and 12 years old, no, they shouldn't be letting men into the bathroom. Okay, it's a bad move, but she gets to feel good about herself and glad, I'm sure, will give her an award for her bravery. And by the way, it's not bravery when everybody celebrates you. It's not bravery when everybody agrees with you. It's not bravery when everybody who surrounds you tells you what a brave special flower you are for doing it. Okay, so that's one thing that they showed at the Billboard Music Awards. The second thing they showed is another teeny bopper icon. Britney Spears is back. Now, Britney Spears has become even less talented than she used to be. Whatever voice she used to have is now gone. For a while, she lost the body. She's now regained the body. People were making a big deal out of this because she was up thrusting on a, on a guitar or something. And my only question is, I didn't know there were objects, either animate or inanimate, that she had not thrust herself upon. But apparently they constructed a brand new object for her to thrust on, and so this is what it looked like. This is great music. It's Beethoven. So let me go and just listen. She's literally dancing on a pole for people who can't see this. And singing within a three-note range, but she has no range. And she still does her little girl voice, which is getting weird now that she's 75 years old. Okay, let me pause it. Okay, this is, this is such, I mean, this is not even music. It's not music. It's, it's, this is now a gang ear assault. That's what it's turned into here. I mean, it's turned into just brutality on the, on the ears. And she's not, when, when people say she's a good dancer, this ain't Michael Jackson, okay? She ain't, she ain't a good dancer. 
Okay, I honestly don't know a girl who's even in basically decent shape who can't do the things that she's doing right now. She's literally doing nothing. She's literally thrusting her pelvis at a pole. I assume that most people are capable of this. But this was considered forward thinking and, and genius because what we've decided is that the way that we decide that artists are mature now is for them to be pornographers. That's what, what makes you a mature artist. What, made, what took Demi Lovato from Nickelodeon to the front page of the newspaper was the fact that she is now willing to have sex with inanimate objects. Same thing happened to Britney Spears, who used to be on Mickey Mouse Club. This is the, the ripping away of innocence. You look at Mary Poppins and you realize this is what 10-year-old girls were watching back in 1962. And then you look at this and you realize this is what 10-year-old girls are watching now. And you realize this is why we are so screwed as a society. And this is why we're now on the verge of basically saying to young girls, it's no big deal if people flash their penises at you. There's a North, Carol there's a North Carolina editorial in the Charlotte Observer about this transgender bathroom issue. And they actually say in there, they actually say in the editorial that, quote, this will involve women and girls sharing bathroom and locker rooms with someone who has different genitalia, an image uncomfortable even for some who are sympathetic to the transgender cause. And then they add, yes, the thought of male genitalia in girls' locker rooms and vice versa might be distressing to some, but the battle for equality has always been in part about overcoming discomfort with blacks sharing facilities, with gays sharing marriage, then realizing it was not nearly so awful as some people imagined. So in other words, little girls get over the fact that there's a 35-year-old hairy dude who's whipping it out in her bathroom because, hey, you're just going to have to get over it. So the transgender folks don't have to get over the, the idea of having their bowel movements in the proper bathroom, but we all have to get over it when our daughters are forced to, to have a bowel movement in the same bathroom as a dude. So it's just, this is, this is the collapse of society. It's because the left, again, has become so extreme, it makes the reactionary the reactionary side of Donald Trump possible. The key here is that just because you're reacting to something doesn't mean that your reaction is the proper reaction. I understand the reaction. I do. I get it. But that doesn't mean that Donald Trump is the proper reaction. And Donald Trump, by the way, agrees with the Charlotte Observer on this one. Donald Trump is the same guy who says that he would allow men into women's bathrooms at Trump Towers, which just goes to show you this is all a con. It's all a game. It's all a con. That said, if you want to buy the con because it's better than Hillary, you're prerogative. But this is the struggle. It's a moral struggle. And to, to announce anyone, for anyone to pretend it's not a moral struggle, is to, is to fail to look reality in the face. We'll have more of this tomorrow. Hopefully it'll be a little bit more enlightening and a little bit less weird. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So... I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 